with the number that we're able to make it. Thank you. And also thanks to uh, Cora and Kendra and Penny, the last three Sundays who've been helping to lead the choir while, while Kevin is um, away on vacation. You can ask him about it when he gets back, but every um, year, I think since the mid-90s, he's gone on a two-week skiing trip with uh, friends and family out west. I think he got back yesterday and probably brought the snow with him. Um, uh, so, uh, but uh, my name is uh, Drew Smith, and I get to be the pastor here, and uh, welcome those of you here, the faithful remnant that are here that made it through, and those that are with us online. Maybe you're saying um, you're the wise ones in the midst, uh, but we're the, the, the ones that are um, uh, not uh, not wise to come, or maybe we're saying you're the wimps, uh, but uh, either way, glad that we're here to look at God's word and to, to celebrate and continue to, to learn and grow as to how God is doing what the choir was just singing about. How God is building his church. And he's building his church not as an institution. He's building it as a collection of people. And a people who are being formed to look more and more like Jesus and, and empowered and empowering one another to trust and believe in, in, in him and to obey his commands. Um, what uh, you never uh, dealt with, I'm sure we all have our own stories of dealing with like institutions and customer service in institutions that, that we can do that, you know, and that it can test in our language, test our sanctification. Um, I have to remind myself, sometimes my kids had to, sometimes my wife, you know, that's a human being you're talking to on the phone. Um, but when you finally get a human being um, on the phone. And uh, so remember that. I can remember one time uh, that it was a time actually when a child was in the hospital and we were in, right in the middle of, of changing out cell phones. And those days, a little more than today, even though it's sort of coming back, cell phones were tied in to Internet, which was tied into your email address. And I called in and said, all right, listen, I'm, we're changing cell phones, so cancel the cell phone, but we want to keep the internet and we want to keep the email address. Well, and then something happens with the kids, we're in the hospital, and come home the next day and the internet's off. And my email is gone. You know, you know, people make mistakes regardless, you know, so, but, you know, I call them back. Uh, so, hey, listen, I told you I wanted you to keep this on and put that. And then, okay, yeah, we can make that change. It'll take five days. And I'm like, wait a minute, you turned it off in a day, you know, and what, can't you just go flick that switch? Yeah, and so that it'll all be on. Oh, sorry, sir, but have a nice day. We appreciate your service and your patronage. And I won't tell you what I said. <laughs> but we recognize that regularly when we deal with institutions. And there are times that the church can be more focused on the institution than the people. And that's devastating. Um, actually, the very basis of this series about the, the goodness of God and how we live out the goodness of God is based on a book um, by an old seminary professor of mine and his daughter, Scott McKnight, and um, uh, Laura, not McKnight, I think it's uh, Ballinger. And, and this book's called The Church Called Tove. And Tove is actually the Hebrew word for good. 
which, which we've tried to capture in this series, that good is not just a moral goodness, but good is also aesthetically good. It's provisionally good. It's like the creation at the beginning. Genesis 1 is created, light and, and, and darkness, and it is good. And uh, the, 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 the birds of the air, the fish of the, the sea, the, the lands, the, the animal on the lands, the, the waters and the land, and, and it was good. And then male and female, and it was very good. So it was, it was verdant. It was glorious, gorgeous. That, that's, that is what is good. And that's what the, the church, we as a church, as a people, you know, they're following after God, trusting in Jesus, um, that we should be good. And in our, even our recent history as the, the Christian church, you know, there's been all kinds of ways that we've tried to protect the institution instead of loving the people. And we know that through horrific, terrible uh, events of sexual abuse of of children and women. And we've shared stories of that have just come out in the last couple years, times where people came forward to say they had been abused uh, by people uh, who were in leadership in in the church. And the results, the, the folks that were in leadership were saying, well, we have to keep that quiet. Because you know what kind of damage it would do to the church. What kind of damage it would do to the kingdom of God if that got out. Um, and that is a, a devastating evil response. When, when we face evil that we do to one another, we need to practice what we do here. Which is confess and repent and bring it into the light. Because only as we bring it into the light does Jesus make do the work of transforming us. Um, and, and so one of the things that is good that the church is called to do is to put people first, even over the institution. And what we'll see in our passage today is that's what Jesus does. He puts people first. He, de- he puts people first over the institution. He puts people first over the crowds, over public opinion, over popularity. He, he puts people first even over himself. Of course, that we celebrate you know, every confession time as well when we recognize Jesus' death on the cross to, to pay the price for us uh, to take our place so that we can have his place. Jesus puts people first. And so the church has to do the same. Um, our passage is in Mark chapter 5. It's a rather lengthy one. Um, it's found on page 840 in your pew Bible, if you want to follow along there. Um, and it's starting with verse 21 through the end of the, the chapter. Or you can follow along on the screen or whatever other form you might have of the scriptures. Let's pray. Almighty God, again, we thank you for your word that speaks to us of your truth, of your goodness. And so we, we come to submit ourselves to your, your word and to be filled and empowered with your spirit so that we as well as your people would, would live out more of our lives according to the character of Jesus. So continue to transform us. Speak to us so we understand you. Fill us so that we experience your touch and empower us. And as we were seeing, to be a blessing to you and to all that we touch. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
All right, uh, Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who'd had, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who'd suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out for him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who'd said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. First thing that I want us to to see in this passage is uh, what we learn from Jesus is don't let people crowd out the person. Don't let people crowd out the person. Both of these situations with the bleeding woman and Jairus' daughter um, had crowds present that were actually a hindrance uh, to both of them engaging with Jesus, being touched by Jesus in some way. The first situation, we understand, uh, there there are two ways that the, the, the crowd was working to make the woman, the bleeding woman, invisible. 
One was simply just by crowding around Jesus to where Jesus couldn't see her and she couldn't see Jesus. Uh, but, but she, out of her desperation, makes her way through the crowd and there we're told, touches Jesus' garments and is healed instantly. Well then, uh, the, the funny little interaction that Jesus stops and says, hey, who touched me? I mean, this is like Middle Eastern market, you know, where you got just big old baskets of dates and nuts and pomegranates and mangoes, you know, all just around. And you've got this little, well, it's like Finley Market on opening day or Easter weekend. You know, there's just no way to get through the place without being touched at every step. And so Jesus says, someone has touched me. Well, actually, what's good to know here is the word that's used as touched here is actually, the, it's usually word used to, to light a candle. In other words, it's, it's not just a touch where you happen upon something. It's, it's touch with a purpose. Uh, so it was a different touch than all the other touchings of the goings, ins and outs of the marketplace. This was a touch with a purpose that's used of the woman of Jesus and Jesus of the daughter. That he's touched with a purpose. Um, so anyway, but this, this crowd is getting in the way, trying to, to keep the woman away from Jesus and then getting in the way of Jesus finding the woman. Who touched me? Where, where are you? What has happened here? Interesting here. If Jesus were just a wandering healer, then he'd just go on his way. I mean, yeah, somebody got healed. Great. Don't need to stop. Don't need to worry. But the, the crowd had made and was making this woman invisible. And Jesus was saying, no, he refuses to let her stay invisible. Using our language today, Jesus is telling her, I see you. And do you see what happens too? That Jesus then says, hey, come to me. Let's, let's talk. And she tells the whole truth. She tells her story. Not just in front of Jesus, but all the disciples, all the crowd, everyone hears her story. She is heard and seen and the pain and distress that she's experienced are now, now they're no longer just hers to bear. She now shares it with all around. And Jesus is the one that makes sure that happened because Jesus wanted to see her face to face. He refused to let the crowd get in the way of engaging and bringing healing to this woman. Now, the, the second instance, you know, the Jesus uh, is now makes his way to Jairus's house and the daughter is there. Well, she's dead. Jesus, you don't need to come. No, I'll come. And the interaction with the crowd there as they're wailing and they're weeping appropriate uh, to do when someone is, is dead. And Jesus says, no, nah, she's not dead. She's asleep. And then they laugh at Jesus. You know, to be to be laughed at is often something that causes us to shrivel. But not Jesus. He refuses to let the crowd silence to separate him from the need before him. And he then pulls just the mom, the dad, and his closest three disciples 
and engages with this woman, this, this daughter who is dead. And he, he makes a point there to touch her, grabs her by the hand. And then using her, her language says, get up, arise. Notice the, the power of touch too. As I mentioned, this word touch is to touch with a purpose. You know, touch these days is somewhat a bad word. And it's because the brokenness, the fallenness of the world. Some of it has to do with viruses. Some of it has to do with our sin. And that we touch each other inappropriately for our own desire instead of for the blessing of another. As I was reading articles and looking at different books, as just thinking about this and the power of physical touch, you know, there all kinds of research that talks about the absolute healing power of human touch, that we need to have touch. And part of the reason I think, you know, that, and I'm not the touchy feely kind of person. I think that's why I played football because there's just a lot of touching in football. A whole lot of touching that I needed, but it's a different kind of, uh, of touching. But we need that. But every article, every book, there's either a couple paragraphs or a whole chapter. Touching must be safe. It must be consensual. It must be appropriate. It must be clean. And those are true and those are right. And that is absolutely the case. And, and we... Humans and the brokenness and fallenness of the world can take such a powerful gift as simply touching one another and ruin it and make it for evil instead of for good. But if you go and look through those articles, you see all kinds of things, how it decreases blood pressure, increases all the right endorphins and all the other things that it helps us be human. And experience love with one another. And Jesus demonstrates that here. So even here, he refuses to let the crowds, the the mass of people, crowd out the person. The second thing that we see in this passage is Jesus, uh, as followers of Jesus, we don't let public status influence the value of a person. The, these two women in this story are almost opposite ends of the social value spectrum. I mean, the bleeding woman, she's an outcast. She has no value whatsoever in the social um, uh, marketplace. She, she actually is just a lot of cost. She's just going to cost us a lot. She's unclean. She's been that way for 12 years. She's cursed. I mean, no one. She took all kinds of risks just to make it through the crowd. Because if the people knew who she was, they would have jumped up and shouted, unclean, unclean. So she has the least value of anyone in the story. And yet she needs to be touched. She needs to be healed She needs to be heard. Jesus is on his way to heal someone with great potential. I mean, this Jairus, we're told, is like one of the leaders in the synagogue. I mean, to to heal Jairus' daughter, this is a strategic healing. I mean, Jesus can take full advantage of that. And yet in the middle of that, he's interrupted by someone, again, that has no value. And yet he stops. And he makes it a point 
to engage. The social value of someone does not influence the infinite value that God, that Jesus gives to every human being created in the image of God. I mean, because the, the daughter of Jairus, so Jesus stops, heals the, the woman, and then moves on. And he then heads to the, the daughter of Jairus, to, to Jairus' house. Because, and, but here, this is a potential windfall because of how powerful the family is, how influential. I mean, if Jesus can get recognition for healing this woman, what, how, what is that going to do for the movement? What will that do for the, the work? I mean, this is going to supercharge their work. A strategic healing. Yet Jesus doesn't give priority to that notion of popularity and strategic healing. He heals the daughter with only a small group present. Just gets... His closest friend and the mom and dad and then say, hey, let's go in and heal them. And then after he heals her, he says, all right, nobody say anything. I mean, Jesus does not understand the value and the timing of good promotion. I mean, think about even I, I'm not anything about promotion either. But man, I can see this one. I can visualize. Oh, wait a minute. These are photo ops all over the place. Get the phones out, Instagram, TikTok, get the video, the reel going, put it on Facebook, get mom, get dad there, get the siblings, bring the cousins in. Somebody go get the teacher and the classmates. Let's go put them on the playground. And they're playing with the girl that was dead now is alive. This is a bonanza. Of popularity. And Jesus tells them, be quiet. Don't tell anyone. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that p- folks think about Jesus as saying to be, be quiet. Um, and because he, he does this a number of, of times. Uh, but the key thing from here is that he's not healing in order to gain popularity, obviously. He, he's healing because he loves the person. And he loves the world as well. And these healings are demonstrating that he's not, as I said earlier, just a wandering healer. But he is God in the flesh. That he has power even over death. And what we we learn from this, as then as Jesus' followers, we see the character of Jesus. We want that character to be true in us. That we have that same compassion and care for individuals. That we we want people to be seen. We want them to be heard. We want to be seen. We need to be seen. We need to be heard. We need to be touched. And Jesus is saying, yes. Come to me. Follow me. I'll teach you, I'll lead you, I'll form you to be that people where we are seen and heard and touched in a way that brings life. And, and, and you see that here, there's a couple things that, that really demonstrate this, this tie-in for us as the church. One is, I don't think it's a coincidence that the girl had been alive the exact amount of time that the woman had been sick. 12 years. 12. When you read about 12, how many tribes of Israel were there? 12. How many disciples were there? 12. 
They're, they're representing the, 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 the church at its inception. And Jesus makes it clear, because what's the one, the, the one command that he gives, or the, the one response that he says, this is how you are to respond. He, he affirms, actually, this response in the bleeding woman, and these are the words that he gives to Jairus right before he goes in to his daughter's bedroom. He says to the bleeding woman, your faith has made you well. He tells to Jairus, right before he goes in the daughters, don't be afraid. Believe me. Believe me. Trust me. That this is who we are to be as God's people. As we're seeking to, one, receive that from Jesus and share it with others. Jesus tells us, All right, then grow in your dependence upon me. Trust me. That's what, in this, this woman, that's what brought her, uh, who's bleeding, that's what brought her to go through whatever it took to get to me. And it's your faith, Jairus, that has caused you to come to me and now continued to allow me to come. Keep believing. Don't give up faith. Don't live by fear. Yesterday, I was with a small group, and this group, as we were, we were talking, um, asked, uh, uh, we asked, the question was asked, um, what would you do if Jesus walked in the room? And uh, two, two of the, the folks that were there immediately just said, oh, man, I'd run. I'd hold on to him, grab hold of his neck. I'd grab hold of his feet. I would just hold on to him and go nowhere. And I'm like, that is the response that we hear here. You know, that when Jesus shows up, man, it's just out of love that I just want you and I'm not letting go. That That's the, the faith of of. Here and in our lives, in the midst of the uncertainty and distress in our lives. As I read through this uh, particular story and was, was thinking about it, I, a story came to mind that we've experienced here recently, just this month. And I asked permission to, to share this. And these are nothing new. These are stories that have been shared with you before. Um, but it was the story of, of Bunty Scott, who was baptized here. And of her friend, Kelly Hibbett, um, who uh, is a, a member here. Um, you know, Bunty uh, came out of Cambodia, the killing fields in the 70s, and had a long journey. You can read this story in detail in the Bell Tower News that's uh, out at the front desk. And in the, the literature rack, uh, gives great detail about it. Uh, but um, and Kelly and, and was instrumental of, of engaging with Bunty over the course of the years and connecting her here. But I remember um, this is five six years ago now. This is um, in uh, this is pre COVID. Um, this is pre uh, um, new carpet and new arrangement to furniture in here when we had um, uh, pews in, in the back where the families sit in the back there. And one Sunday morning, I was in here. It was before the service, and there was a woman in the back corner. Nobody else was even in here. She was sitting in the back corner back there. Well, that communicates a whole lot. You know, it means you're able to walk in the door and sit in the first seat. And 
just walked over. So, you know, I do have, take a little bit of those social cues. And um, I said, so, my name's Drew, the pastor here. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. And short conversation and just sort of moved on. Um, later, I don't remember exactly when, and I didn't remember all these details till I um, talked to uh, to Kelly. Uh, she remembers coming to me later and in another space and just saying, you know, we we talked and uh, somewhere along the way I'd learned, you know, she was battling with agoraphobia, you know, getting out of that fear of getting out of the house, fear of, and she shared this before uh, to the congregation and says that uh, I said, well, let me pray for you, anoint, I'd anoint you with oil and um, uh, which again, you know, I don't remember, but uh, trust her memory. And she goes, she told me, she goes, I just thought that was the weirdest thing, but I still went ahead and and did it. Well, and then, as you know, I mean, Kelly's been up here to share the story. She was up here with Bunty. And and then just uh, two weeks ago, I don't think I told you this, Kelly. Um, uh, per, I met somebody from Price, who lives in Price Hill neighborhood. And I said uh, to, uh, to told them, you know, I've gotten talking about what I was doing. I told them, pastors, oh, then do you must know Kelly? And I then I tied it together. Oh, Price Hill. Kelly goes, yeah, yeah. She just loves our neighborhood. And I'm like. Wow, you know, what a transition. But then I, I thought, too, also of Bunty. What a perfect ordained connection that Bunty, who comes out of Cambodia, Buddhist background, doesn't really know much about the church, scared and fearful of the church, just happens the course of years ago to meet with Kelly, they develop a relationship, and as things progress, Bunty and Kelly, Bunty's like, ah, I'm ready to go to church. What a perfect person who has, out of fear and trepidation, entered the halls of a church, Christian church, happens to be the person that Bunty, who's scared to come into the church and needs a guide to help her grow, move from fear to faith. And leads her in that way. I, I remember vividly, this was several months ago now, when Bunty and uh, Kelly um, entered into the sanctuary. Again, it was way before the service. And they popped down and sat there. Then they sat over there. Then they sat over there. They huddled together and finally said, okay, this is the place where I can sit. And found their place to sit. I mean, it's just that Long and laborious of a process to move from fear to faith. And as I sat back and, and thought about that and considered that, it, it just fed my faith. God, you are at work. It's just in your timing and not mine. You know I mean, this this story that I just told took like 10 years to process and occur, which to me is a long time. But to God, no, no time at all. That God is at work in so many ways, bringing touch and healing and hearing and seeing through faith. And and friends, if there's any word for us here, it's that We need to share our stories of faith, simple ones, little ones, ways that we know that God has 
touched us, that he's heard us, that he's seen us, so that we can, if nothing more, to encourage one another. And be on the lookout for ways that God might bring the folks that are near to us, maybe all the way to Cambodia, or far from us, all the way to Cambodia, or very near, just in Price Hill. To come to know and trust in Jesus. That's one of the ways that we're to be the church. That we're in tune with the ways Jesus has touched us. We share that with each other. And we're alert to the folks around us. Because Jesus always puts people first. Doesn't let the masses get in the way. Doesn't let the social standing get in the way. Jesus sees, touches, and loves you, me, and every person that's created in the image of God and is ready to touch and see every person that comes to him. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do stop in this moment and we give you praise and thanks for you bring to mind in our own lives events yesterday and events decades and decades ago. Ways that you have touched us and you've seen us, you've heard us, you've loved us. We rejoice in you we, and we give you thanks. And we ask, Lord, that you would uh, so fill and, and strengthen us that those stories become so real that we're ready to, to share them with others who cross our paths, who are in distress, who are in, in need. Continue to, to form us as your people so that we, like you, Jesus, don't let the, the crowds get in the way or social standing or anything else from loving the people that you bring across our path. And Father, we are also thankful that we can come before you and bring before you the needs and concerns of our community, of our world. Lord, we continue to pray for and give you thanks for your healing hand and your healing work in people's lives. Lord, we continue to pray for Cherie and for Jerry Federley. We pray for Tom Brinkman. You'll continue to bring healing to each of them. Continue to bring peace and continue to root their families and the loved ones in faith and trusting in you. We lift up Carolyn Madison uh, to you as as well. Pray your healing hand uh, upon her. Lord, we're we're thankful for the the birth of Zimri to um, Molly and Luke Verhagen. And pray your continued healing upon Zimri. That he would uh, continue to be be strengthened and and nourished. And um, be able to go home soon. And and Lord, we uh, continue to... I lift up to you the, the family of Tom Hilton at Tom's um, death last week. We, we pray for um, Nancy and for the children and grandchildren that they would know that sure and certain hope of the resurrection from the dead that is in Jesus Christ. Almighty God, again, we thank you that these concerns and other, little, other concerns in our own lives, they are, they are not petty to you. You're not too busy or overworked, that you 
are able and you take the time to engage with each one of us. Thank you. Hear the cries of our heart for ourselves, for our friends, family, for our enemies, for our world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.